Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. Mindfulness is a landmark concept for most Buddhist meditators in that it helps us orient ourselves and navigate in our world of practice. It corresponds to a very real experience or at least a family of related experiences that we cultivate and through which we make very real progress in our practice. However, it should be clear from my talks on the Satipatthana that the way the term mindfulness is widely used in the modern context has only a tenuous relationship with the Pali Sati as it is defined and used in the early Buddhist texts. The pressing question then is, where among the constellation of factors we've examined under the headings Sati, Upatana, and Samadhi, do we find this mindfulness thing? The disconnect between modern mindfulness and its supposed correspondence in any Buddhist tradition, was noticed by B. Allen Wallace, who emailed Bhikkhu Bodhi about this in 2006 to begin a correspondence between two great scholar-practitioners that they agreed subsequently to make public. It began with Wallace posing the following question about sati, the ancient Pali word for mindfulness to the most highly regarded translator of Pali into English. As you well know, in the current Vipassana tradition, as it has been widely propagated in the West, sati is more or less defined as bare attention or the moment-to-moment non-judgmental awareness of whatever arises in the present moment. There is no doubt that the cultivation of such mindfulness is very helpful, but, strangely enough, I have found no evidence in traditional Pali, Sanskrit, or Tibetan sources to support this definition of sati. Let's look at some modern definitions in order to contrast them with the description of sati in the early Buddhist texts. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines mindfulness as the practice of maintaining a non-judgmental state of heightened or complete awareness of one's thoughts, emotions, or experiences on a moment-to-moment basis. Perhaps the definition most consequential for the modern understanding in general was provided by the German monk Nyanaponika Terra in 1954. Mindfulness, sati, applies preeminently to the attitude and practice of bare attention to a purely receptive state of mind. 
a great Sri Lankan-American monk, meditation teacher, and scholar, Bhante Gunaratana, clarifies bear as non-conceptual. Mindfulness is non-conceptual awareness. Another English term for sati is bare attention. He also explicitly removes recollection from the scope of mindfulness. It just observes everything as if it were occurring for the first time. It is not analysis that can be based on reflection and memory. Sylvia Bornstein tells us that mindfulness is the aware, balanced acceptance of the present experience. It isn't more complicated than that. It is opening to or receiving the present moment, pleasant or unpleasant, just as it is, without either clinging to it or rejecting it. John Kabat-Zinn states, Mindfulness means paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. Moreover, in the West, mindfulness has often become further abstracted from anything like its Buddhist context, most noticeably in clinical applications like mindfulness-based stress reduction and incorporations in other organizations, including the military. Business-savvy consultants push mindfulness training, promise that it will improve work efficiency, reduce absenteeism, and enhance the soft skills that are crucial to career success. The disconnect is easily appreciated if we try to imagine how the gatekeeper or the bloke carrying the oil past the dancing girl from earlier similes would gain any help at all in performing his respective task by applying mindfulness so defined. I know I'll enter into a state of bare, preconceptual, or non-judgmental awareness and thereby succeed in the task at hand. Bhikkhu Bodhi further pointed out in this dialogue with Wallace that contemporary teachers seldom emphasize right view and right intention in favor of merely being present, and that Dhamma is often regarded quoting other teachers, as claptrap or mumbo-jumbo, while meditation is unconstrained by dogma, presumably referring to the Dharma. Meanwhile, Alan Wallace is concerned that Vipassana has become a radically simplified teaching for the lay public, dumbed down and overlooking the richness of the Satipatthana Sutta. What happened to get us from there to here? This is a matter of semantic change, and this gives me a chance to put on my linguist's hat. Ahem. I think that what is going on can be tracked in terms of three technical terms. The first is, of course, sati itself, which means recollection in the early Buddhist texts. The second is upatana, which means attending, and the third is samadhi, which means composure. The reason I'm introducing three terms is that, although each of these has a distinct definition in the early Buddhist texts or occupies a distinct semantic field, in practice they are intimately associated 
in ways I discussed in my talks on Satipatthana. Sati and Upatana, recollection and attending, are two sides of one coin and together give us the term Satipatthana. Samadhi, composure, is a mental state that naturally and immediately arises when Sati and Upatana are practiced together. Because of this close association, it's easy for any one of these terms to intrude into the semantic space of another. The principle here is metonymy. Metonymy is the process whereby a term is extended figuratively across semantic fields due to even a fortuitous association. The word cup is something we drink out of, for instance, but it also means eight liquid ounces, about how much we like to drink. Rough is a quality of a material surface, but extends to the experience of riding in a wheeled vehicle over such a surface. And then even to a similar experience while traveling by air, then to the kinds of weather conditions that produce that experience. Metonymy can happen quite casually, as when a waitress complains, the ham and rye forgot to leave a tip or it can impel an actually long-term change in the dictionary definitions of terms. Since the early concepts, sati, upatana, and samadhi are distinct, yet very closely associated in actual practice, even in the earliest period, it's a cinch that one would have sometimes be extended metonymously to refer to the fields of the others. That is what people do. Furthermore, if the term used for another field were to change, then this intrusion would be even more likely. It seems that the terms upatana and samadhi both underwent change, particularly samadhi, apparently by the time of the commentaries, roughly the 5th century AD. The term upatana seems to have been partially eclipsed by a faulty analysis of the term satipatthana, which seems to have been preferred in the commentaries. It became patana establishing rather than upatana attending. Also, since satipatthana was identified with right recollection and there was no right attending, there may have been some degree of additional preference for using sati in reference to attending. However, it should be stressed that the commentaries seem consistently to have defined sati in terms of memory, not in terms of attentiveness, thereby adhering closely to the early Buddhist texts. A more dramatic change occurred in the case of samadhi. It came to mean something radically different from what it meant in the early Buddhist texts something now sometimes referred to as the Visuddhimagga jhanas, rare states cultivated with much difficulty rather than the states of composure that arise quite spontaneously of themselves in the presence of general satipatthana. Once samadhi vacated its early semantic field, the use of sati would have been extended easily, perhaps inevitably, to fill the void. 
As a result of the changes in Upatan and Samadhi, I speculate that Sati came to occupy all three semantic fields, those occupied in the early Buddhist texts by three separate terms, Sati, Upatana, and Samadhi. The other two terms may have continued to be used alongside Sati, particularly Upatana, but the point is that Sati acquired a technical meaning much broader than recollection. This is probably the meaning that, in the late 19th century, was translated as mindfulness. A final stage of semantic change seems to have happened quite recently over the course of the 20th century. Sati, now called mindfulness, actually retreated from the semantic field it originally occupied in the early Buddhist texts. Again, I point out that this change certainly was not universal. For many teachers and students in Asia, sati still means recollection. And for some teachers in the West, such as Tanisaro Bhikkhu, sati means recollection or memory. But this was a change that was experienced at least in the mainstream of Western Buddhism and to some extent in Asia. The change seems to have been driven by popularization. Berkeley scholar Robert Scharf has studied the effects of popularization movements in Buddhism, particularly with respect to meditation practices in East Asia, and points out that the overall tendency of any such popularization movement seems to be the promotion of one particular practice, of what is otherwise a broad array of integrated practices and understandings, above and sometimes to the exclusion of all others. Historically, this aspect has sometimes been meditation, sometimes devotional practice, sometimes even study of scripture. It's easy to see why this might be so, given the vast breadth and depth of the Dharma and the limited time available to most adherents for Buddhist practice. Scharf argues, for instance, that this became a critical factor beginning in 8th century China in shaping the Zen school of Buddhism, in which meditation became a matter of setting aside distinctions and conceptualizations and letting mind rest in the flow of here and now. Similarly, the modern Vipassana movement began as part of a very broad movement that began around the turn of the last century to revitalize Buddhism in Burma, of all places, largely driven by the threat to Buddhism by British colonialization and involving renewed widespread commitment to ethics and virtue, to Dharma study, and to meditation. Of interest to us are the meditation schools that started in Burma and found success in Western lands, particularly the schools promoted by S.N. Goenka and Mahasi Siero. Meditation became, to varying degrees, a standalone practice more easily exportable to the West, disassociated from its traditional context. As a standalone practice, it encouraged students to neglect right view 
and the study of Dharma. With the neglect of right view, the role of sati in satipatthana as the portal through which right view enters into our meditation through recollection was closed. In the West, Buddhist meditation was entering a rather unusual religious culture, one that undergone a subjective turn in which greater attention was given to personal experience and away from external authority. Spirituality was being increasingly commodified, producing a kind of consumerist lifestyle with decidedly mix-and-match, plug-and-play, build-your-own tendencies. It is therefore not surprising that meditation methods that were modular led quickly to intense personal experiences and did not appeal to doctrine would have great appeal in this religious environment. For instance, when young and enthusiastic Jack Cornfield, Joseph Goldstein, and Sharon Salzberg founded the Insight Meditation Society in the mid-1970s, after each had spent much time in Asia studying with Mahasi and Goenka, among others, their initial vision was of bare practice with almost no rituals nor non-meditation activities. For them, authority came from meditation practice itself. Today I've provided what seems to be a reasonable account of the history of the term mindfulness as involving an extension of the meaning, sati, beyond its original definition then much later a contraction from its original definition. I did not deal with what mindfulness actually means in terms of the constellation of factors that the Buddha presents quite clearly as implicated in the realm of sati, samadhi, and upatana. For that, we will wait until next week.